Connor, that was a really aggressive Presbyterian baptism. Um, there's a lot of water, and my sleeves are very wet, and so is your head. Um, praise God. What a day to be gathered uh, and to, to see the signs of the covenant and to praise the Lord this morning. Um, before we get into the sermon, I do want to invite everyone who's here today to stay. And, uh, and we have plenty of food and uh, you know, crawfish and sausage and burgers and all that stuff. Um, so, so please join us outside afterwards. But right now, uh, I want to call you to what is the central part of our time together, which is the Word of God. We, we highly value the Word of God here. And we think that what the people of God need in a sermon is to have the Word of God read to them, uh, exhorted before them, and, and for you to understand it. So um, not a lot of jokes this morning, a lot of looking at, at what Scripture says. We've been reading through and expositing uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and today we're kind of at, in, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And last week while reading the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of Jesus was about trust and treasure. And you remember Jesus said you, you could either store up treasure on earth where, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. And he gives this, this other option. There was another treasury he told us about, and it was an eternal treasury in heaven where we could store up our treasure. And at the end of, the, of kind of the message that Jesus delivered, it, basically it was, who do you trust? Do you trust God or do you trust in your money and trust in your treasures? Like, who's going to take care of you at the end of days? Um, now, we study a different section of Scripture every week. We pretty much go in order, but, but there's only so much we can, we can study in a given week. And from week to week, sometimes we lose our context because you got to realize that, that, that Jesus isn't stopping where we stop and starting every week. This is one long sermon, right? And so I need to tell you that everything that, that we talk about today has to be built on the understanding of what we discussed last week. It, they're, they're very much linked. And so remember this idea, idea of storing up treasure on earth versus storing up treasure in heaven. And, and where Jesus finally got last week is you cannot serve both God and money. And here's where we turn to this week, okay? I want to suggest to you that what keeps you from being faithful with your treasure is primarily anxiety and fear. And that's really what, what Jesus is going to talk about this week, our anxieties and our fears. You know, friends, by nature, many of us are warriors, and, and I've been around some of y'all, and some of y'all worry a lot more than me. Some of y'all just like a kind of, what do we call that, a, a worry wart or something like that, just, just a nervous, netty, you know, some of y'all really have that, that in your nature. And um, I get the opportunity in my job to do marriage counseling a lot, uh, and, and there's a tool I use, it's called Prepare and Rich, and, and it, it's something I was trained in in seminary, it, it's basically a, a survey that the husband or husband-to-be will go and take and the wife and wife-to-be will go and take. And, and the computer puts it through its little algorithms and spits out a report. And I'm able to use that report to see if, if they both view the relationship in the same way or do they view it differently. And where they have different perspectives of the relationship, that's where we focus our talk a lot in marriage counseling. And uh, I've, I've done it over 100 times, I bet. And one of the questions that this Prepare Enrich study asks is, uh, do you have a lot of stress in your life? 
And if so, uh, where, where is it and what is it? And there's a place for them to like check things that stress them out. And, and what's interesting is, you know, you sit down with the husband and wife and you look at the different levels of stress. And I'm not going to lie. Oftentimes the wives are carrying a lot more stress. I don't know what it is, but, but you know, they really like the husband will be like, oh, I don't know, man, I don't know who's going to win the game this week. And they, they're not really honest about their stress. And the wife is like, you know, I'm dealing with my in-laws. I'm dealing with my mom. I'm dealing with all the flowers. I'm dealing with, I don't have time to, for my friends. I don't have time to exercise. I've got work. I've got all these things. But what I want to tell you is it's a very, very helpful exercise to list out what things in life make you anxious. So, so I guess where I'm going today is if I was to ask you to fill out that form today, what things would you write down? What, what, what things do you lay in bed at night and kind of worry about? What, what, what kind of, what, where's your anxiety from? You see, I, I have a son who's a college student. I, I know some of you are college students. I know college students worry about their grades a lot. They, they worry about their time. They have pressure to get work done. I know mothers tend to worry about household obligations more than fathers do for some reason, uh, probably because they do more around the house. And then, and then they're also trying to balance some of them careers and families, and it's a lot and it's stressful. And what men will do is men will just lie to me and they'll say they don't worry very much at all. But I don't, I don't believe it. I know that what men worry about is... Um, they worry about being successful. They don't want to be seen as a failure. And, and men worry about the possibility of not being able to provide for their families. Uh, one thing I found very interesting in, in all of these tests I do is that men and women both feel an amount of stress and anxiety because they don't have time to work out and they feel overweight. It's really, I get that a whole lot. And, and oftentimes people are really stressed because they have serious health problems. Do, do any of those kind of things that I mentioned today sound like your life? But it is. It, it's always an interesting exercise to find out what makes somebody anxious. So what about you? I'll ask again, what do you worry about? Some folks just carry that anxiety really heavy. And, and here's the question I want to ask you today. This, this is kind of the, uh, the heart of what we're getting at. Do you believe that anxiety is the will of God in your life? Another way to ask that question might be to say this. Are, are, do, you, do, you, do you know or do you believe that you're being disobedient to God when you worry? You ever thought about it like that? I want to suggest to you that worry is almost always the result of our lack of faith in God's provision. We worry because we don't think God's going to meet our needs. But if we truly believe that God would meet all of our needs, that would significantly change the way that we thought about our future and our worries. And I want to read together to you or with you today from Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read Matthew 6, 25 through 34. If you are able, I'm going to invite you to stand in reverence of God's word as it is read before us. We'll pause and pray before we read. Uh, Father, we pray that our hearts are positioned properly before your word. That we kind of rend our hearts, we submit our hearts to hear what we believe is your truth for our lives. Spirit, help us quicken our hearts to hear well. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, hear now the word of God beginning in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or, or what you will drink, nor about your body, 
what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the the lilies of the field, how they, they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. One thing that you might have noticed from this reading is that Jesus has this common refrain. He says it over and over, uh, repeats, do not be anxious. And some of you are probably like, hey, that's a great idea, Tyson. Uh, do you think we really want to be anxious? No, we don't want to be anxious, but, but life is stressful. And I get it, I do. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus seemed to think that there was a way that you could put down anxiety. And if that was true, if there was a way that you could put down anxiety, wouldn't you like to do that? Maybe you'd sleep better at night. Let's read the words a little bit at a time. We'll start with the 25th verse. Read it with me. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is speaking to really two crowds. You've got to understand, he's speaking to his disciples, but there is a secondary crowd that has gathered around. And so there's kind of two audiences there. And within that crowd of people that's gathered around, there are probably rich men and there are also poor men. And, and the rich probably are, are, are very little concerned about the, the basics of life, you know, and that's really what Jesus seems to be talking about here. Food, drink, clothing. The rich people probably have a lot of treasure stored up. They, that's who we talked about last week. But if you were poor or if you're middle class and you lived in Galilee, you probably worried about what you would eat every day and what you would drink every day. And probably a lot more of your day was filled up in making sure you had those things. You, you see, they didn't have a, a Walmart or a Kroger. Uh, they may have had some form of market, but, but ultimately they had to spend much more daily energy thinking about where am I going to gather? Where am I going to hunt? How am I going to salt my food? How am I going to preserve my food? They had zero ability to, on the way home from work, pull into Chick-fil-A and get dinner for the family. I want to ask you this, you know, 
How many of you have water faucets in your home? Almost all of you. How many water faucets do you have in your home? Like if you're going to go count them up, you go, okay, we got at least one in the kitchen now. Now everybody's kitchens are coming with those pop fillers, so now there's two of them in the kitchen. Some of you all have them in the laundry room. There's generally two water faucets in every bathroom in your house. You know, maybe, you, I don't know where else you got Maybe you got three or four on the outside of your house for water hoses. Think about in the ancient Near East what it took for them to get water. They have to get up before the sun was up. They had to take a, maybe a jar or a big bucket and walk to the well and then pull water up from the well and, and, and hope that you would bring, out, bring home enough to hydrate for the rest of your day. I mean, doctors are always talking to us about the importance of hydration. If you didn't have water in the ancient Near East, that was a serious problem. And there's this logic in me that says, um, don't be anxious, Tyson, about frivolous things. It's okay when it comes to the necessities of life for you to get a little anxious, right? If you're going to die because you don't have enough water, maybe you should be anxious about that. But not Jesus, right? Jesus says even in the case of all these life-threatening things, even then, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about what you will eat, about what you will drink, about your clothing. We don't think about this, but, but clothing is, is oftentimes a necessity. What Jesus says instead is this, is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. What does that mean? Is, is life not more than food and the body more than, than clothing? I think Jesus is suggesting that life should be filled with so many other things than worry and anxiety about having your needs met. Like wh what should the abundance of life be? It shouldn't be just worrying about whether or not you're going to get what you need. And lot, some of us do this. We worry a lot. What if the economy blows up and I can't feed my family? What if I lose my job or we lose our house or, God forbid, what if the cancer returns, right? So Jesus is there. He's, he's on the, uh, beside the Sea of Galilee on a small hill. And uh, com many commentators have, have wondered if at this time when Jesus is talking, a flock of birds didn't fly overhead. And Jesus notices the flock of birds. And they, to him, become a great illustration of God's providence. And, and he begins to point to those birds and says, let's read verse 26 together. He, he sees the birds. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the idea is that, that God the Father created those birds. And, and those birds get what they need every day because the Lord sustains them. The Father gave those birds instincts, and those instincts tell those birds how to go look for worms, and the Father provides worms. And those instincts from the Father teach those birds how to build nests. And at the end of the day, these birds don't have any barns at all by which they store their worms. Did you know that? Birds never store worms in barns. You know what they do? They wake up tomorrow, and they know that God will give them the worms that they need. And Jesus actually says it's God who, who feeds them. And, and what I want you to see is the link between anxiety and barns. The link between anxiety and storing up your treasure in heaven. When you don't trust that God will provide, you build barns to provide for yourself. And Jesus is like, why do that? Don't you know that your father will provide for you? I mean, he provided for those birds. Are you not more valuable than they? 
And which is just a rhetorical way of Jesus saying, you are. Listen, you're much more valuable than a bird. And I'm sorry to any of you bird lovers out there, but, but like there's no doubt, like human beings are more valuable than birds. And, and, and let me say it this way. I'm sure God loves all of his creation in some way, but not all of the Father's creation is made in his image. To be adopted co-heirs with Christ and to reign with him one day in glory. You are more valuable to God than a bird. So, why do you doubt that God is going to meet your needs? Uh, that is, that's really what this is about, this kind of anxiety that you have. Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. Uh, this does not mean that you can become a lazy person, okay? And just say, God will provide for all my needs. Uh, in, in writing about this verse, John MacArthur had a really funny line. He, he said something along the lines of, uh, God never met the needs of birds by making it rain worms, right? They always had to get up and follow their instincts and do what God had given them the ability to do to have their needs met. So we, we do the same thing. We get up every day and we go about our labor and we work to provide for our families and we work to be generous with our treasures, but we don't give in to anxiety because God always has and God always will meet our needs and I guess my question for you is, do you really believe that? Do you believe that God is going to meet your need tomorrow, whatever that may be, and the day after that, and the day after that? I would say to you again that anxiety is really the root of not trusting God. So let's look at verse 27 together right here. It says this, And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? So the point of this comment is that not only is anxiety an act of distrusting God, it's also just useless. It doesn't do anything. You see, when we talk about your days and how long you're going to live, if you're worried about when you're going to die and how long you're going to live, can I tell you something? God has already numbered your days. It says so in the Bible. God knows how long you will live. And really, there's not much that, that we can do to change that. I mean, beyond this, I'll take care of yourself, okay? I mean, be safe, be wise, but, but at the end of the day, God has numbered your days. Look at, look at Job 14.5. That's what it says. It's talking about mankind, and it says, Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Right? God has, has preordained our days in our months and, and, and set the day that we will die, and, and that limit cannot be passed. Anxiety does not and cannot extend our lives like worrying about it. But, but listen, it's probably not good for you either, right? Ask your doctor if it's good for you to worry. But whatever happens, know that God has preordained your days. Look with me at verses 28 through 30. Let's, let's read that together. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 
for me, this is kind of an actually a very interesting point in Scripture here. Remember earlier we were trying to like categorize everything that was listed off. We've got, we've got water, we've got food, and we've got clothing. And what I really wanted to be able to say was that, that clothing in this category was a necessity. And so it was really the way that Jesus was probably thinking about it really had to do with shelter of some sense, right? But reading that into this context, it doesn't really work. It's not that the person is worried about having clothes to keep them warm or clothes to be sheltered. It almost feels like they're worried about their style, doesn't it? Like they're worried about how they look, like the color of their clothing. Um, you know, follow with me. He says, don't be anxious about your clothes. Consider the lilies of the field. Once again, commentators believe that Jesus was probably pointing to a nearby field on the hill that he was teaching, and it had a bunch of, um, a bunch of wildflowers out there. And so he called them, the, you know, the lilies of the valley or the lilies of the field. You know, they're out there. And he says, uh, the flowers in this field, they, they didn't toil or spin, yet God has given them a beauty that is unrivaled. And think about the most beautiful clothes you've ever seen. And, and then kind of King Solomon was using this as an example there. Consider King Solomon in all of his splendor. He, didn't, he wasn't dressed like these lilies of the field. He does the same thing he does with the birds. He suggests that we are more valuable than the birds. Now he suggests that, that, that if God clothes the fields of the flowers like that, will he much more clothe you? But it was never really about providing shelter, was it? This, this wasn't about warmth. It was about beauty, which is very interesting. And, and as I begin to think about this, I begin to realize that there is a true anxiety that many of us carry about our beauty. Right? We worry about our beauty. People in this room have become slaves sometimes to your wardrobes because you want people to appreciate the way that you look. We always fret about what we wear. We go shopping, and, and as we're shopping, we're, we're thinking about who we're going to impress. And, and I've had folks who have not come to church because they don't have the right kind of clothing to wear. They think they have to dress really nice when they come to church. Cammie uh, and I always joke that uh, one time she came to church wearing jeans, and, and one of the uh, lovely saints of the church told her, oh, bless your heart, don't you look comfortable? <laughs> That's, a, that's our ongoing joke. And so I said it, I saw her in jeans today. I was like, oh, you look comfortable. Uh, this, is an, this is about style. It's about beauty. It's about cultural norms. There is an anxiety that I notice in a lot of women who feel the pressure to stay beautiful and be beautiful. And um, it really ruins their lives, I think this anxiety to be beautiful. And I think that's part of what's happening here when God is, is, is asking you to trust that he will clothe you with his kind of beauty. You see, there's a beauty that comes from the Lord and there's a beauty that men desire. And this beauty that comes from the Lord, God will provide. Look, look with me at 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4. We'll put it up there on the screen. Do not let your adorning be external. The braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothes you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. See, there's a beauty that comes from the Lord. Let your adorning be the hidden beauty of the Lord. Outer beauty fades, but God's beauty is imperishable. And what Jesus talks about the things of our anxiety, he says about them, O oh, you of little faith, Oh, you of little faith. Do you, do you see the link between anxiety and faith? 
He continues to say that wherever you're anxious, there's really a lack of faith in God as provider. Look at verse 31. Jesus begins to give us the solution to anxiety, okay? He says this, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Keep going in the verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Isn't that interesting? You would, you would expect him to say, the Gentiles seek after these things, so you don't seek after these things. Right? That's not what he says. He says, the Gentiles seek after these things, but your Father knows that you need them. Like, like it's not that they're going to be withheld from you, right? Let me summarize a bit. Don't stress out about your needs. This is what the Gentiles do. The Gentiles stress out about their needs. It's like they're engaged in this game of hide and seek where they're seeking something every day. And what are they seeking? They're seeking food, water, clothing, mortgage, tuition. And that seeking becomes the central focus of their lives. And they constantly are asking themselves, will I have enough? And they're playing out scenarios about what will happen if we don't have enough money. And all that boils down to not trusting God to provide. Allow me to make an observation, okay? There is something to be said here in last week and this week's sermon, something to be said to the rich and something to be said to the poor. The rich man does not trust God with his finances. And and because he doesn't trust God with his finances, he stores up treasure in case of disaster. But ultimately, that treasure is a sign of his mistrust that God will provide tomorrow. The poor man does not trust God with his finances, and so he's constantly anxious and he constantly worries about his needs. But ultimately, his anxiety and his worry is a sign of mistrust in both cases. You see how that works? The issue is, do you trust God to take care of your needs? If you do, you can take all that energy that you use worrying, and you can use that energy for God's kingdom. Listen, Jesus tells us that your heavenly Father knows what you need. I guess my question is, do you believe that? Instead, do this, okay? Verse 33, here's what it says. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Let's read that one more time. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What if instead of being anxious about what might happen, you spent that energy focusing on seeking after the Lord? That, that's what Jesus wants for us. It's as if Jesus says, um, you don't have to worry. The Father will handle everything that you're worried about. You focus on what really matters in life, okay? You focus on loving your family. You focus on loving your neighbors well. You strive to be obedient to the call of Christ. You just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and you trust that all these other things that you're worrying about will be added unto you. He's talking about your needs. God is good, and God is sovereign, and you are a child of God. Do you really believe he's going to abandon you? Jesus says to us, he says, oh, you of little faith. You worry about the kingdom of God. Let God worry about everything else. Once again, I, I just say this, you know, as we kind of are finding a landing place here, this is not an excuse to be lazy or foolish. Go to work. Make wise financial choices. Take care of your health. 
Do all the wise things a Christian is called to do, but give up on the part where you worry. Because ultimately, and I'm going to say it as clear as I can for some of you who need to hear this, ultimately your worry is sin. And it comes from your lack of faith. It's a distrust in God's goodness, in God's power. One last verse we'll read together. Verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, I was thinking about this verse. I was thinking about all the things we worry about for tomorrow. And, and Kami and I have this, and I guess the kids too, we have this old dog. And she's a good, she's a good dog. We love our dog. Uh, we have a young dog that comes to church with me every day named May. And we have an old dog named Lexi that's 12 and a half years old. And is a German short-haired pointer, golden retriever mix. And she's got to where she can't walk around the block without limping. And she's got to where when she jumps on the bed now, Kami and I, our eyes meet because we know she barely made it. And next time maybe she won't. And there's these questions we always, you know, talk about like, well, what about, man, it's not going to be very long until, and uh, we don't have many days left, and I sure am going to be brokenhearted when, you know we do this, right? We make the problems of tomorrow the problems of today, and we miss the life that we could be living in joy. Uh, so so let, me, let me summarize by saying this. Worrying and anxiety are the result of a lack of trust in God. It's often because of this anxiety that we store up treasure on earth in our barns. Jesus says no one has ever added an hour to his life by worrying. So not only is worrying a distrust in God, it is also just not effective at all. So here is my encouragement today. I know you are worried and scared about some things in life. What if it doesn't go the right way tomorrow? Some of y'all have big diagnoses of your family and big things that you're worried about. And here's all I can tell you in encouragement. Rest in the goodness of the Father. Choose to have faith that he loves you. Don't worry about what might come tomorrow because, my friends, Jesus is the Lord of tomorrow. Rest well, for God is sovereign. Let's pray together. Father, we do trust you, and where we fail to trust you and we, we fall into worry, will you forgive us and direct us back that you are faithful in all things. God, as we prepare to, to be a community celebrating a feast, uh, we, we just thank you for all that you give to us. We thank you for this community. We thank you for one another. I ask that you would help us to be salt and light for one another and help us to carry one another's burden. What a, what a privilege that is. Uh, Christ Jesus, you today are the object of our worship. We know that, that it is by uh, your wounds we are healed. And so all of your church is gathered here today, Jesus, to worship you. Father, as, as we come and have this time of prayer, we're also uh, aware that we are sinners and that we, in, in a way, uh, deny the truth of Christ sometimes in the way that we live our lives. And so we ask for forgiveness, and we ask that your Spirit would give us the energy and the encouragement to seek after righteousness and to repent from the things that don't bring you honor. Um, Father, I pray that as we sing one last song today in closing, that it would be uh, really an, an offering of right worship from us, that we would put energy and effort into this final song as a way of glorifying your name. Uh, we pray all this in the name of Jesus and the church said.
Amen.